Imagine yourself on a beach and the sun is beginning to dive towards the waves and, and paint the sky with all of its hues and couples are cooing on the beach and cuddling as they watch and groups are speaking in hushed and reverent tones as this magnificence begins to unfold before them. And here comes this guy running with his AirPods in, and he's making his way down the beach, and the, the waves are on the right, and you think that maybe he's unaware of what's happening over his shoulder. And so you catch his eye and kind of motion to him to regard the beauty and he takes a quick glance and looks back at you and makes eye contact and he says, it's just a big ball of gas. He's missing something, right? I mean, if, if he doesn't get it, you, you, can't, you can't help him. He's missing something. Anything that's so unlikely. I mean, you cannot help but be drawn in and enraptured by those kind of moments. You can't just reduce it to its basic elements. You just can't. And yet, Charles Taylor in his, uh, his uh, seminal work called A Secular Age outlines how this is the worldview that we're swimming in, living in, a reductionist worldview. He calls it the imminent frame. And I think you have to recognize that you're getting some of that on you. It's like that old, that old picture of the frog in the kettle. If you put a frog in a boiling kettle, it'll jump out. But if you raise the temperature slowly, it'll, it'll cook to death. Our secular age is, are the waters in which we swim. And the news, the way it's framed up, attitudes, lifestyles, what people are paying attention to, what they're purchasing, how, how they're living, how we're living. We get drawn into it. We begin to, to view this sunset as just a, a ball of gas, we begin to lose a sense of hope. It's, it's the age in which we live. And so as people of hope, how do, we know that, how do we know that what we're really traveling towards is really a pathway to hope and not just wishful thinking? Is there a way to know whether or not we are pursuing God-given hope or just earth-bound wishful thinking? Is there a way to discern which road we're on? Let's talk about that. From the Word of God, James, chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Hear God's Word this morning. Blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, 
I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be the kind of first fruits, a kind of first fruits of his creatures. May God bless us through this, his holy word. Let us pray. Father, bless us now through this word, not only to our minds to understand it, but to our hearts to receive it, that through our lives we may live it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's a thing that masquerades as hope. Wishful thinking, optimism. Can we know the difference? Well, let's, let's look at the source of hope, the test of hope, and the practice of hope. Now, that sounds like a lot, but it really is going to be pretty quick, and it all fits together. Let me just give you kind of a, a sermon in a sentence. We're, we're going to look at, at where hope really comes from, and, and then a test to see whether that's, that's where, where you're going as a sojourner of hope. And then how do you practice it along the way? That's it. Let's take a look. First, the source of hope. The source of hope is nothing less, nothing short of God. Hope is considered one of the theological virtues, faith, hope, and love. There are a lot of different virtues, you know, that, that people have, have framed up over the years. And these faith, hope, and love are, are tight. And hope is, its source is God himself. It's a gift of grace. It's a gift of God. Well, how do you know that, that that's what is in you, that that's what's driving you? How do you know that hope is what's driving you and not just some kind of optimism. You know, optimism does masquerade as a virtue. It's, it's a presumption. Optimism is just a false hope, a presumption about some future outcome that may or may not take place. And sometimes we, we sort of are powered by denial, and we just think, I'm just going to name it and claim it, right? Name it and claim it. You know, I want that thing. I desire that thing. Yeah, and, and we often talk about hope this way. I hope it snows on Christmas Eve. Well, maybe not in Thomasville, Georgia. Okay, maybe we don't even try to, try to be that optimistic about snow in Thomasville, Georgia on Christmas Eve. Could happen. But sometimes we talk about hope that way. It's just sort of a, a human desire, an earthbound desire. But hope is something God-given, something that endures you know, it, we don't have a lot of help these days, especially in the southeast. There's this thing called the prosperity gospel. And amazingly to me, I've, I've even heard some of the net worth of some of these prosperity guys. And it's just um, pretty striking, pretty amazing that, um, that people are drawn in again and again to this false idea, this denial, this denial-driven optimism 
that simply says, name it and claim it. That, that really measures hope by earthbound things. It, it, it makes the object of hope our circumstances or, or some, some sort of thing or person or place, some kind of noun that's anything but God. And see, that makes God a means to an end. But hope makes God an end in, of, in and of itself. That God is the object of hope. And when God is the object of hope, then even dark circumstances, well, especially dark circumstances, can show us our true hope. I've, I've told this story, but I, I'm not going to tell the whole, whole story, but I, 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 it's the story of me going and rescuing my dog from the well. I'm going to tell you this, just one part of it, because I, I didn't, I, I left something out when I, I told the story some years ago, but I didn't make this point. And that is, when I, so when I was 12 years old, my, my, my dog, my poodle, um, that, yeah, we had a poodle, it was a standard poodle, yeah, see, there's Snickers already, and I, don't even, I haven't even told her, you her name yet, Charcoal Shendo Deshake. So there, we call her Charky. So Charky <laughs> fell into a, an antebellum well that my brother and I discovered. There were vines all over it, and, 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 and she, she had this mop, you know, of, of hair, and we, we assumed she could see through it, but we found out that day she couldn't because, uh, you know, it was 25 feet down, and... Um, yeah, we knew that because my brother was studying physics, and he spit, and he counted. And, you know, so we, we knew how deep the thing was. And, and so here is Charky. We're, we're telling everybody where this well is, and, um, and Charky walks right into this well. So this guy comes along, long story short, this guy comes along, and he has a, a ski, ski vest. He puts it on me and ties a ski rope to it and says, you look like the man for the job. I thought, oh, what job? And so, uh, so four or five guys lower me down at 11, 12 years old into this well. And I'm, it's getting darker and darker and darker and darker. 25 feet down. And my dog is just down there again, kind of, well, she's dog paddling. And I'm looking up, and as it gets darker, did you know that this is a principle? I looked up, and what did I see? I saw stars. Not because somebody knocked me on the head, but because as you get down in the broad daylight, you can see stars even in a deep well. You see, everywhere else it's daylight, but you may be in a well and you can see the stars. It's true. And I looked up and I saw the stars. How do you know? How do you know that you're on a road of hope or just wishful thinking? Verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Verse 17. You see, sometimes we think of these ancient people as simpletons. No. no what he's saying is, we don't look to the stars for our hope. We're not wishing upon a star. What he's saying is, there's someone who transcends all things, 
even those things that just seem mysterious and out of reach, even in an ancient time, recognizing and orienting not to the things that we can get, not, not making God a means to an end, but, but centering our journey, our pathway as a destination of hope is, is to aim at the one who made all things, who transcends all things. Not an imminent frame, but a transcendent creator. When your hope is centered on God, even in the deepest well, see, and sometimes especially in the deepest well, when, when you're away from all those glittery things, all those shiny things that you want, all those things in life that you think are going to bring you happiness, sometimes it's in the deepest well that the stars shine the brightest. Sometimes it's in the deepest well when you discover your heart's true home and your heart's true hope. That's the source of hope. It's God alone. And so it's a, it's a grace-given virtue. It's not something that you can create for yourself. It's not something that you can just name and claim. It's not, and, and, and you see, the, 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 the hawkers of prosperity gospel, you know, they're really aiming at earthbound things. And if you don't get them, then there's something wrong with you, right? Maybe you don't have enough faith. But true hope is a gift. It's a, it's a virtue that comes by grace through faith. You see, it's a power in the present because of a faith in the future. A faith that, has its, that is lodged in reality and not just in circumstance. So that's the, first, that's the source. The source must be God himself. Not the things that God can bring. Not in shifting sands of circumstance. So how do you discern whether or not you're on a pathway of hope or wishful thinking, on, uh, uh, of hope or false hope, of hope or denial and optimism. How do you know? Well, you're tested. There's a test of hope. You see, there's a test. And it's a compassionate God that puts us to the test to show us ourselves. You follow, follow that? That's the point. It's a compassionate God that puts us to the test to show us to ourselves, to see which path are you on. Are you aimed at earthbound optimism or God-given hope? It's a good thing to find that out, isn't it? What are you really aimed at? Your storm may come. Your storm is coming. We're either leaving one or we're, we're, there's one on the horizon, and hope takes us through. What path are you on? It's a compassionate God that shows us, that, that puts us to the test, you see? Well, it says, but it says to him, he doesn't test anyone. He, he doesn't tempt anyone. Well, so this is the controversy here. You see, you look back and it says, verse 12, Blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial. The word for trial and temptation is the same word. And so James is playing with language here. He's saying there's a, there's a test, and you have to understand what test and temptation is for in your life. You have to understand the purpose of it. You have to understand where God is in it. And so, so Francis, Pope Francis, this was just even this past year, wanted to change the Lord's Prayer. What part? What part? Lead us not into temptation, right? And the reason he wanted to change it was this passage. 
He read this passage that says, God doesn't tempt anyone. Don't say that I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot tempt anyone with evil, for he himself tempts no one. So what's he saying? Why does Pope Francis... But Pope Francis wants to change the Lord's Prayer because he wants to change it like, well, don't let me be led into temptation. That's how some people sort of do this sort of linguistic gymnastics, right, to get around this thing, right? That God isn't the tempter of, of evil. So what is James saying? If he's saying, yes, he does tempt people. He does put pe- people to the test, but he's not the one tempting. Well, wh- what is this? This sounds like a contradiction. Now, what he's saying is he's using the language to say this. God is not luring you to do evil. He is putting you to the test to show you what's in you already. And so when we pray, lead us not into temptation, what we're saying is, Lord, make my prayer the means and not have it necessary to put me through a trial to bring about the virtue you would have within me. You see, he's saying, Lord, let my prayer be the means of your spiritual formation. Form me through the means of prayer. Don't make it necessary for me to be formed by trial. You see, this is, what, this is consistent with what, what, what James is saying here. Yeah, let me illustrate. So when, when we make... When we make this, when we're making this earth or, or God the means to the end, then we're really, we're really making God just sort of a, a utility to get what we want, right? And so tests, temptations show us whether we're aimed at God or aimed at earth, right? So here, here's the illustration. So, so one, of my favorite, one of my favorite stories is uh, the Count of Monte Cristo, whether it's you know, reading it or, or watching the movie. I, I love to watch certain things at certain times of the year. This would be a, a time of year that I would want to watch the Count of Monte Cristo. But you know, do, do you all have this problem that, that you've got certain things you want to watch during Christmas and maybe other people in your family don't want to watch that thing? Anybody else have that problem? Or is it just, the, is it just a dad thing, is it a dad problem? Like, you know, I will admit that I would love to watch, you know, it's a wonderful life every year. And, and for some reason, this gets old for other people in my household. I don't know. But The Count of Monte Cristo is one of those great stories. And Dante's, Edmund Dante's has this incredible life unfolding before him. And then he gets framed and he gets put into prison. And he writes on his prison wall, God will vindicate me. And year after year, he's reinforcing this etching in the wall. God will vindicate me. And you watch as he loses his nerve, he begins to lose hope. Did he really lose hope? You see, then enters this other character into the story who's been digging for years, and he surfaces from one cell to Dante's cell, and he comes in, and here's this priest, this warrior priest, this, this soldier priest, and he begins to school Dante's, and he, and he, and he says, Dante's, let me stand on your shoulders and let me look at the stars. And, and he stands on Dante's shoulders and he looks out because the, the only way to see the sky is, is to get on his shoulders. And he looks up and he sees the stars and he says, take me down, take me down. And he says, thank you, God. And Dante says, 
There's no talk of God in here, priest. And he said, he says, I have lost, I have lost my faith in God, my hope in God. And the priest says, oh, what's replaced it? And he says, revenge, revenge, you see? Now, that's, that's a stark view of a test. What was this man's real hope, you see? It, now, let's contrast that with Abraham. Now, Abraham, Abraham is put to the test. He's asked to sacrifice his son Isaac. He takes them up to the mountain. He has the... the, the the, the, the fuel for the fire, and he has the sacrifice, and Isaac doesn't know it. And just as he's about to slay his own son, God stays his hand. Here's a man on a road of hope versus Dante's who had been on a road of optimism with God merely as a utility to get something he wanted. You see, the problem that we have with this imminent frame in a secular age is that when we reduce life to the things that we can get and measure, then what we have begins to have us. What we have begins to have us. It has our heart. It has our hope. That's false hope. Are you on a pilgrim's journey? Are you journeying with a magi? Are you just looking for the warm fuzzies of the star, or are you looking and aimed at the one who made the stars. This is the test. And so what God is doing then in putting you to the test, even through temptation, he's not saying, look, here's a temptation here, uh, and, and I'm introducing evil to you, and I'm trying to lure you to it. He's saying, I'm trying to lure out of you what you are so that you can see. It's like a mirror. You can begin to see, this is who I really am. In the midst of the trial, in the midst of the test, I can see who I really am, what my true hope is. I can begin to see what road I'm really on. You see? It's a compassionate God that shows us ourselves, that puts us to the test. So that what we have, the temporary, temporary things we have, all of your life, that is measured now. So that what you have does not have you, does not have your heart. So that you know that hope is your heart's true home. So the source of hope is God. The test of hope shows us ourselves. Yeah, as Jesus said, it's not the things that go into us that corrupt us. It's the things that come out that corrupt us. In other words, what we're saying when we pray the Lord's Prayer, lead me not into temptation. That is, Lord, let the prayer be the means of clarifying my heart, reorienting my heart to its true home. Now, so what's the practice? The practice of hope is to affirm daily, to affirm daily that God is good even when circumstances are bad. It's not a quick fix. 
It's not a change of circumstances. It's not, Lord, I'm going to believe you if I'm going to make this deal with you. I'm going to bargain with you. I'll do this. I'll give you this. I'll give you all of it if you just do. It's to affirm daily that life is difficult, but God is good. Uh, some years ago, uh, I, I met a guy named Billy Sprague. He used to write a lot of songs, uh, contemporary Christian music songs. And um, he was one of the early guys, and he came to my university. I, a friend of a friend, uh, and we, we got to be friends, and I brought him in for some things. And his wife uh, was killed. And, um, and one of the things that ended, up, uh, that ended up grounding him and revealing him to him was this this old you know it's from he he's french and his his maternal grand, grandmother used to say la vie est dure mais dieu est bon and that just it's just what i just said life is difficult but god is good you see our problem is we think either or we're either or thinkers it's either grace or it's truth i'm either going to get revenge right or this person is going to to change uh, it, it can't be that th this person is not going to change and I'm going to forgive them. You see, we're either or thinkers. We think either God is real and he's going to change my circumstances or the circumstances are going to stay the same and I'm just going to give up on God. We're either or thinkers. But the affirmation that God calls us to, to draw out and to build true faith and hope and love is this both and. That life is difficult, but God is good. Verse 15, it says this, and 18. Let's compare them. Verse 15, it, it, look, look back at it. With, will you just open your scriptures again? It says, then desire when it has conceived, okay? Desire when it has conceived, what a rich image, gives birth to sin. Desire, that natural human desires. What, what comes out of us corrupts us, right? Desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death, right? Now, let's compare that to verse 18. Of its own will, he brought us forth. See that? It's a parallel. He brought us forth by what? By the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits. You see, the, the Magi left home before Jesus was born. They left home a couple of months before he was born. And they followed this star, and, you know, it, it was probably about 500 miles off. And so it took them a couple of months to get there. And, and, it, and, and it was just in order to what? To pay homage to this future promise. And it drove them. It drove them. You see, when you have faith in something that's real, that's really coming, it can bring power to the present. So what does it look like? G.K. Chesterton said this. He said, Fairy tales make apples golden so that we can remember our wonder over first seeing a green one or a red one. You see? What, is, what does this hope look like on a daily basis? Affirmation of the wonders around us, even in difficult circumstances. Affirmation, a daily affirmation of daily bread. It's to get up every day and to say, there are wonders that never cease around me. Can I affirm those things even 
in difficult times. You know, I, I think I, I like short table blessings, right? Because usually, you know, I'm ready to have breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Don't, don't you? I mean, I like the short ones. Like, thank you, Lord. Amen. <laughs> I mean, I, but, but, but I also like heartfelt ones. And so a lot of times when I'm saying these, these brief prayers uh, in my own household, I'm thinking about where did these apples come from? I mean, how amazing is that? How many thousands of nudges did it take to bring this apple to my house, right? You ever thought about that? This is just one practical way, one practical way to, to leave you with something that you can do as a practice. Yeah, hope is a godly virtue that's given by grace, but you also are responsible to steward the gift, you see? And to steward the gift is to see with eyes of hope. It's to continue to develop your view of things. It's to look at the sunset and to regard it and not let it pass by without wonder and thanksgiving. It's to see the, 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 the simple gifts off your table and to begin to say, as you pray that prayer, what wonders never cease to nudge along this. I mean, the, the, the rubber in the tires that was harvested on which these apples were transported from one place to the next, the, 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 the people that picked it, the accountants that kept those places in business, and on and on and on and on and on and on. Hundreds of thousands of people and systems all working together in common grace to bring this apple to your lunch table. Do you see? With a frame. Let's pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, thank you for the story that reframes life from wishful thinking to a hopeful future. Lord, may we be sojourners, pilgrims on an upward path, ones who, because of our regard for what's coming and a growing sense of assurance and confidence of your love for us that we would be the fruit that we would be the evidence that we would be the wonder that our living our lifestyle our choices oh god would speak hope to the people in deep wells around us in jesus name